Who are the ad watchers? We are attorneys at the National Advertising Division of BBB National Programs, a team with 50 years of experience investigating and resolving disputes over the accuracy of national advertising campaigns. We don't just take ads at face value, we put them to the test. Why? Because advertising law can be simple, but it's the execution that's hard. Hi, Annie. Well, we're back. Episode two, season three. How have you been? Pretty good. How are you? I'm doing great. Annie, Saturday is the Brooklyn Marathon. Are you running that one? Oh, no. Uh, One half marathon is enough for me. (laughs) That's all right, Annie. Well, Saturday is also, however, Earth Day. You know, a time to consider how each of us can better take care of this one planet we've got. And you know... That often involves thinking about making choices that are better for the environment, using less, reuse, reduce, recycle, and buying products that are less harmful for the planet. But, you know, Annie, sometimes it's hard to know what those products are. How can we tell? Yes, it's very fitting that we are recording this around Earth Day because green marketing and advertising is really top of mind. Consumers care about the environment, and they're willing to pay a premium for products that claim to confer environmental benefits. Consumers also cannot verify these claims on their own, so they really need to be supported. That's right. That's the foundation of the FTC's Green Guides and the FTC's and NAD's scrutiny of environmental benefit claims and advertising. In a prior podcast... Our colleague Eric Yunus and our former NAD colleague Latoya Sutton dove into the Green Guides in a few recent NAD cases evaluating environmental claims. Well, today, Annie, we have a special treat. We're bringing Latoya back. It's great to have Latoya back. In this episode, we're moving beyond the informational to talk to Latoya about practical, real-world considerations when making environmental benefit claims in advertising and hear her perspectives as an in-house marketing attorney. But first, let's talk about the Green Guides, which are under review for the fourth time since they were issued in 1992. The Green Guides are administrative interpretations of the law, and they're not independently enforceable. But the commission can take action under the FTC Act if a business makes claims that run afoul of the guides. Uh, NAD harmonizes its decisions with any relevant regulatory authority, and we rely on the green guides when we're reviewing environmental claims. The FTC is seeking public comments to potential updates to the green guides, including terms and claims that are not defined. For example, sustainable. NAD has often provided guidance where there are gaps in regulatory guidance. For example, we have reviewed sustainability and aspirational claims as part of our monitoring efforts, but also as part of competitor challenges. So in a recent case, the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy, or the IATP, a nonprofit organization that fosters sustainable rural regions, challenged net zero claims, net zero 2040 by JBS, which is the largest food company and the largest animal protein producer in the world. We recommended that the advertiser discontinue its claims that it's committing to achieve net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2040 because it failed to provide a science-based plan it is currently implementing to achieve 
net zero uh, operational impact by that date. The advertiser could, however, make uh, narrower and truthful claims regarding its efforts at researching potential methods for reducing emissions and any efforts that it's undertaking to reduce emissions. The advertiser appealed our findings to the uh, National Advertising Review Board, which is the appellate body, the self-regulatory forum, and the appeal is pending. NAD also brought a monitoring uh, case against American Beverage Association, or ABA, for its Every Bottle Back campaign. ABA is the trade association for the U.S. non-alcoholic beverage industry, and that includes Coca-Cola, Keurig Dr. Pepper, and PepsiCo. We challenged claims in a video which touted ABA's recycling and sustainability practices. We found that ABA supported many of its environmental benefit claims, including claims that our bottles are made to be remade, we're carefully designing our our, our bottles to be 100% recyclable, etc. But we recommended narrow modifications to certain claims that overstated the extent to which plastic bottles currently sold by ABA members are made from recycled plastic, resulting in a reduction in plastic waste and the results of its partnership with several organizations concerning reductions in its plastic footprint and the modernization of recycling facilities. The advertiser appealed the adverse findings to the NARB, which affirmed NAD's decision. These cases make clear that aspirational claims require reliable evidence of commitments to the stated goals by showing that plans to achieve them and the steps taken to reach them, as well as the need to be specific about environmental benefit claims. Dan, can you talk about the diaper and One Health cases? Oh, I sure can, Annie. You know, environmental claims are something that everyone's focusing on, not just NAD, like through our monitoring efforts in those cases you just discussed, but also competitors are always going to be looking at their competitors' environmental claims, And also NGOs, special interest groups, uh, are looking at how companies are making environmental claims. As an example, we have the diaper case, which you just mentioned. In that case, the advertiser made a claim that its diapers were biodegradable. The challenge here was that this was an unqualified environmental benefit claim, which we know from the Green Guides is typically going to pose insurmountable problems of substantiation. Here, though, NAD found that the biodegradable claim was qualified. Next to the biodegradable claim was a graphical depiction of color-keyed components of the diaper and a key indicating which of those components were biodegradable. Moreover, NAD found that the advertiser's evidence establishing that those components were biodegradable was sufficient. So all good, right? Well, actually, no. For while the diaper components were technically biodegradable, they were only biodegradable in practice under certain conditions that weren't available for all consumers or practical for a significant portion of consumers. Outside of these conditions, the diapers would not biodegrade. So although the components were biodegradable sort of inherently, NAD found that the biodegradable claim could be misleading in practice based on how the consumers actually disposed of the diapers. The Green Guides state that degradable claims should be qualified clearly and prominently to the extent necessary 
to avoid deception about the product's ability to degrade in the environment in which it is customarily disposed. Here, the diapers were likely to be often disposed of in an environment in which they would not biodegrade. Accordingly, NAD recommended the advertiser qualify the biodegradable claim to make clear the circumstances under which the diaper components would actually degrade. In another case that was brought by a special interest group, the challenge was against an advertiser's claims conveyed by its One Health Certified Standard, a certification program focused on pillars of animal, human, and environmental health, including environmental impact. The challenger objected to the advertiser's claim that its certification program addressed environmental impact. This claim appeared on the advertiser's website in its certification label. The challenger argued that the claim conveyed several misleading messages, that the One Health Certified Program exceeded industry standards for environmental stewardship, that One Health Certified farmers and producers use environmentally friendly production practices, and that One Health Certified producers do not employ production practices that are harmful to the environment. The advertiser explained that it requires the producers it certifies to submit an annual life cycle assessment measurement of the carbon footprint of the meat produced. Life cycle assessments are something that NAD sees often as substantiation offered by advertisers for their environmental claims. In this instance, though, the life cycle assessment measurement was informational only The producers weren't required to stay below any threshold and no consequences for excessive carbon footprints were imposed. Nor did the advertiser require disclosure of or adherence to any other environmental metrics, although it stated it may use the data to develop thresholds in the future. The FTC Green Guide states that environmental certifications must be meaningful and should be specific about the basis for the certification to avoid conveying a misleading general environmental benefit claim. Here, NAD found that merely collecting data relating to environmental impact without establishing any meaningful standards does not support a general environmental stewardship message, nor does a mere aspiration to set meaningful standards sometime in the future support the message conveyed by a certification speaking to environmental impact that is placed on a product today. So NAD recommended that the claim be discontinued. Thanks, Dan. We're delighted to welcome former NAD senior attorney and the original co-host of Ad Watchers, LaToya Sutton. We have tried to fill the big shoes that you've left behind, LaToya. LaToya Sutton is the legal director at the Clorox Company. She is responsible for counseling the company's various brands, which include Burt's Bees, Brita, and Hidden Valley Ranch, in addition to its eponymous line of cleaning products on advertising, marketing, and promotions issues. In particular, she works closely with brand managers, R&D, and regulatory specialists to develop and substantiate new advertising claims, including those relating to environmental and sustainability benefits. Welcome, LaToya. Hi, Annie. Hi, Dan. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be back. Well, we are grateful that you're here. Latoya, you know, we just spoke a little bit about a couple different NAD decisions showing that the analysis of environmental claims 
isn't really limited to just the product itself. Sometimes you have to look sort of towards the future about what happens to that product. Sometimes you have to look kind of in the past about programs or the process by which the product is developed to see if you have substantiation for your environmental claims. So it seems to me there's a big leap between just knowing what you're supposed to do with environmental claims and actually successfully applying that knowledge in practice. Seems to me like it takes a lot of different hands and a lot of different departments to make that happen. Can you tell us a little bit about the internal corporate life cycle of an environmental claim? What departments are involved? Do you need to work with outside suppliers? When does environmental claim substantiation begin? Sure. It's really a pretty complicated process, <laughs> to be honest. One of the more complicated areas for an in-house advertising attorney. As Annie mentioned in my bio, Clorox's brand portfolio is actually pretty large, and, and it's much larger, I think, than most people realize. We have the cleaning products that everybody knows and loves, but we also have Hidden Valley Ranch, America's favorite ranch. We have Brita Water Filters, the leading brand in home water filtration. And we have Burt's Bees, a brand whose story is inextricably linked to naturally derived ingredients like honey and beeswax. And don't worry, I vetted all of those claims, so uh, you don't have to look into those. Because of that, there is a first big picture consideration for an in-house lawyer at Clorox where every brand and every day is different. And so the question is how to ensure consistency with the overall Clorox company's goals for sustainability and for what we want to be as a company, and then how to also have very brand specific awareness when it comes to what type of green claims we are going to make. So for example, Let's take Brita and Burt's Bees. These are really two different kinds of products in very different product categories. What is Brita? It is a product that aside from our proprietary filter, it's mostly plastic. And that is, it is what it is. And so how we focus on sustainability for that brand is going to be different than for Burt's Bees, where the product is multi-ingredient. It's much more varied than Brita. There is space for innovation in terms of the ingredients and the sourcing of those ingredients and the packaging of the products. It's just a very different starting set of facts, basically, than we have with Brita. That doesn't mean that we aren't being aggressive on our sustainability claims for Brita. They're just of a different nature and type than you would for, for Burt's Bees. And as you mentioned, Dan, it is a team effort, no matter which brand that I'm working with, because as the claims become more sophisticated, consumers become more sophisticated, understanding of supply chain and how that affects the entire you know, life of a product and also what we can claim about a product 
we are finding that legal needs to get involved when we're talking about just where we're sourcing materials, who's going to be our supplier, how much PCR plastic can we get logistically in a month? These are questions I don't think typical advertising lawyer used to have to worry about. But when it comes to the fact that eventually our supply chain is going to be the substantiation for a claim that's going to live on our packaging, that's going to be part of our brand going forward, we really have to make sure everybody is on the same page from the very beginning. Yeah, and it seems like there's probably also the need for more expensive education with those departments that you're speaking to. Because, you know, as you mentioned, Latoya, environmental claims aren't just really siloed between the brand marketing attorney and the internal marketing team. This is something that can extend to procurement and sourcing, can extend to R&D. So do you find yourself in a situation of having to do a lot more sort of education of other departments about environmental claim substantiation standards? Absolutely. I mean, for me, as a new, newish <laughs> Clorox employee, it's been great because I get to meet people from all areas of the company to reach out and make sure that they understand that the choices that they make in choosing this supplier versus that supplier, the innovations that our research and development departments about how things are blended together, all of these things have an impact on the product. And so I get to talk with people, make sure they understand when to get legal involved, why this might matter what the big picture is. I think it's been great for helping us all work more as a team. And that's kind of the great thing about being in-house. Everybody wants to be on the team. So Latoya, what are some of the challenges that you have with marketers? For example, you know, shoehorning the, the a sustainable claim, or we are already mentioned supply chain issues. But what are the challenges you have with the marketers as well as stakeholders? Well, what immediately comes to mind, and I find this very interesting, is that there seems to be a bit of circularity when it comes to green claims, because my marketers, they want to use the words that consumers respond to, even if consumers don't completely understand those words. And that's not a knock against marketers. That's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to have their you know, fingers on the pulse and be very much aligned with what consumers are thinking and responding to. Unfortunately, it's one thing when they are just trying to figure out what to name a particular you know, scent <laughs> for one of our facial products versus when it comes to green claims. And so unfortunately, sustainable, I think is it's one of those claims that relates very well to consumers, but we know that consumers don't really understand or grasp the, the broad way that sustainable can be used in marketing. And so I often receive requests to approve kind of vague headlines with, you know, just sustainability thrown in there. And that is a challenge because I understand the need, I understand the desire, but we also have to make sure that we aren't just playing into a blind spot consumers may have about this word and about what it means in the greater context. So I often will put it back on the marketers and tell them, well, 
what exactly are you trying to say here? What is sustainable about this product, this campaign, whatever we're talking about? And if they can't explain it to me, then that claim's not going forward because we need to always make sure we're not exaggerating our green claims. We're not overtouting any benefits and it can't be something that we just use because it sounds good. Another challenge that comes up often is kind of the materiality aspect. While I work with a pretty broad range of brands within Clorox, a lot of the stakeholders, a lot of the marketers only work with one brand and they live and breathe that brand. And so they get really excited when we innovate. Everybody should. Yay. <laughs> That's what we want to do. But given my background, given you know, the time I spend at NAD, I'm very, very careful about making sure we're not overdoing it. We're not exaggerating our innovations and improvement. I, I want us to be able to tout the good things that we're doing, to tell consumers about new things with our products. But I also want to make sure we're not drinking our Kool-Aid. We're not getting too caught up in a incremental benefit that we are over exaggerating to the consumer. So my role is often to just push back a little bit, say like, okay, how is this material to the consumer? How does this change their day-to-day -day life? How are we communicating that? And are there any limitations that the consumer needs to know about? And sometimes I think that is a little bit of a challenge, particularly, you know, it might be somebody in R&D who's been working for a year to make this improvement. And then this is a great big thing, but maybe we just have to be a little bit careful about how we tout that in our advertising. Yeah. There's the ambiguity of the meaning of these words to consumers, but there's also the challenge, right, of the ambiguity of these words in-house when you're, when you're speaking with a lot of different departments and hoping to develop substantiation for a claim. It seems to me, LaToya, and probably also particularly challenging for you that works with products that are so varied and which sustainable for ranch dressing can have different connotations than sustainable for something like a Burt Bees product. It seems like one of the challenges would be ensuring that the internal teams have an understanding of what we're speaking about or kind of what we're trying to move to when we talk about sustainability or recyclability or biodegradability, do you find that the solution to that is just the importance of, kind of keeping open lines of communication or, or how do you, how do you handle that? Yeah, absolutely. I actually have standing meetings with the marketers and research and development teams of all my brands every week, just so that they always feel like they can have a conversation with legal. Because at the end of the day, we're all on the same team. And the more educated everybody is, not necessarily about all the legal nuances of this and that and whatever, but about the broad principles and where we're trying to go, what we're trying to achieve, it makes work much more smooth. I always say that legal, we're all on the same team. I'm not here to stop the car. I'm just here to make sure the wheels don't come off. So we're all trying to move forward and education, helping them do 
exactly what NAD does and what every advertiser should do, which is put themselves in the place of the consumer. That's part of my job. I laugh because I spend a fair amount of time trying to get people to understand claims that they really truly love that might be susceptible to multiple interpretations. And it's because, again, they've been living and breathing this claim for however many weeks trying to get it ready for legal. And then I come in and I say, hey, you know, there's no comma there. So (laughs) that might be read in a different way, a way that you don't intend it to. And the more that I do that, the more that I find our marketers, they start to get it. They come and they say, "Mm, have I phrased this right? Oh, you know, am I saying this? This is what I mean. Are we saying it the right way? And that's exactly what you want. Yeah. And I guess there's also the added challenge with environmental claims in that they tend to be used enterprise-wide. So not just in the context of branded product marketing, but as we've spoken about a little bit with aspirational claims, companies like to speak about the environmental efforts that they're undergoing to achieve some sort of environmental benefit, you know, in 2030 or 2035 or some other point. You know, you see companies kind of incorporating environmental stewardship into things like mission statements as part of their like company ethos. So I guess that's another challenge too, right? Is sort of the spread of environmental claims throughout the organization and the dissemination of those claims and kind of non-traditional advertising materials and just the challenge that that presents to to in-house counsel also. Exactly. Besides my sort of brand specific counseling, there is some enterprise wide counseling that has to be done because we all, again, this whole world has to tie together the bigger, broader goals of the company also need to be substantiated and also need to be presented in an appropriate manner, communicated in an appropriate manner. And so my team, the entire legal marketing department works closely with our corporate communications department because otherwise someone who's writing a press release might not understand the importance of a disclosure statement the same way that a marketer who's drafting packaging might. They might think, you know, hey, I don't want this weird footnote mucking up my pretty press release. And so we have to make sure like, okay, if you don't want a footnote, like, okay, let's revise this claim. Let's make sure you understand the importance, um, particularly when it comes to environmental claims, because you, you leave off a qualifier and that can definitely be material to the understanding of the claim. That's great. You know, how, if at all, do you work with other companies to establish best practices in this space? That's an interesting question. I have had some interactions with competitors and counsel for competitors. I think we we don't work a lot together one-on-one, but Clark's is a part of a number of trade associations. And I think that there is a desire to see consistency across the industry, particularly when it comes to green claim. Clorox, just like many of our competitors, we're watching the process with the revisions of the green guides closely. We are looking at what our trade associations are submitting in terms of comments and giving input where it feels appropriate. So 
I think any company, particularly any company as big as Clorox, we want to hear from the FTC. We want to know that everybody is being held to the same standards. And I think that applies across the board. We aren't really seeing a lot of variation with across the industries with people wanting less or more guidance from FTC. Everybody wants to hear. And so I think that's mainly the way that we've been working together. Great. Well, Latoya, it's been a pleasure to have you, not only as a former NAD attorney, but also as an AdWatchers alum, and to hear about your valuable insights in navigating the very thorny ESG issues that your company and so many others face. Thanks, Latoya. (laughs) Thanks for having me, guys. I look forward to hearing the episode. All right, great. Well, Annie, so hopefully we can leave our audience with some takeaways from today's episode. You know, the first, a couple takeaways from the NAD cases we discussed. Number one, always, always, you have to be specific with the environmental benefit your product or service delivers. Avoid making unqualified environmental benefit claims. Also keep in mind that environmental benefit claim substantiation does not occur just within the vacuum of the product alone. You have to think about the entire life cycle of your product. This means examining whether the claimed environmental benefit will actually be realized under customary conditions of consumer use in the real world. Also, understand the consumers have expectations with respect to certifications. If a certification is only about what a company represents it is working on or wants to do, like an aspirational claim, that needs to be clear. And you're also going to need to have support that the company is truly making efforts to achieve those goals. If you're an advertiser that uses or is thinking about using a seal or a certification with respect to environmental claims, it's imperative that you understand the basis of that certification. That may mean asking questions of the certifying organization and doing some research so that you can feel confident that the certification represents what consumers actually think it does. Like other environmental claims, you wanna make sure seals or certifications are not conveying an unqualified environmental benefit claim that you can't support. Support must be reliable. It must always be tailored to the claim. So as a final thought and in the spirit of Earth Day, an Earth-related metaphor, you have to dig deep when thinking about substantiation for your environmental claims. So let's look at some takeaways from LaToya. There are so many, but I will hone in on uh, three things. So one is the importance of being consistent with both the overall company goals, but also brand-specific awareness concerning Uh, green claims. And that really applies to advertising and also more broadly to uh, corporate communication. Another thing is that as an in-house lawyer, you are part of a team and the uh, need to work together with marketing and R&D to know sort of what the the big picture uh, broad principles are and what claims can be supported and really just not trying to be the a person that says no, but trying to to make things work, to be able to find appropriate claims that can be made about the product at, at issue. 
And lastly, the importance of working with other companies to potentially establish best practices and really try to seek consistency. That's right. And if you haven't gotten enough LaToya and environmental claim discussion, you can always get more by going back to episode one of season two, where FTC's green guides and NAD analysis of environmental claims are discussed in even more detail. That's all for now. See you next time. Thanks again for tuning into Ad Watchers. Be sure to check out our previous episodes at accountabilitystudio.org, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe to get notified about our next episode. Until then, leave us a review and let us know what you'd like to hear us discuss later this season. Mm-hmm.